0: It's so nice to be in California, the home of some of the world's biggest tech and entertainment companies. But you know, only a handful of tech companies have been at the vanguard of our industry consistently over the past 30 years, ever evolving, adapting, and reinventing themselves as consumer preferences, competitive threats, and humanity itself changed. Two great examples of these are Qualcomm and Microsoft leaders, innovators, and pioneers in their respective domains, continuously making indelible impressions on our lives and society. As we sit on the cusp of the fourth industrial revolution and with the cataclysmic changes the pandemic has forced upon our lives, the question we ask today is how are they once again evolving, adapting, and reinventing themselves for the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead? Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Robertson. Joining me in L.A. is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yi. So today is the fourth in our special mobile world congress los angeles episodes we are coming to you from mwc la and over the past week we've had a recording studio on prominent display at the event and we have had amazing conversations with some of the industry's leading figures now today and in this episode i couldn't be more excited to bring you the conversations i had with the chief marketing officer of qualcomm mr don mcguire and from microsoft the vice president for azure for carriers Mr. Sean Huckle. So I'd like to invite you both to the great indoors today. Okay so um, it's day two of MWC LA 21. Uh, great to start the uh, excited to start the day uh, with our guest today from Qualcomm. Uh, he's the chief marketing officer Don. Maguire, nice to meet you, Don. How are you doing?
1: Very nice to meet you, too. Thank yeah. you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: No, it's great. It's great. Thank you very much for joining. Um, so let's get started. How does it feel to be back
1: face-to-face? Uh, it feels great. Uh, you know, I mean, I think people are ready uh, to exchange their virtual uh, sort of events and uh, exchanges and interactions for, for physical face-to-face mm-hmm. um, Oh, you know, I've attended a couple so far since September really is when right. things started to open back up again globally. Yeah. Um, and so it's been nice. I mean, a little bit more subdued than the, the height of the hype and the craziness, but, yeah. um, which actually makes things a little bit easier to get around and get from point A to point B and, yeah. uh, people are a little bit more chill, but it is really, really nice to be back in the swing of, uh, you know, pre- of presence. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just been, it's been really nice.
0: No, it is. It, it makes such a difference, and we've been deprived of that for so long. Just to be able to get back out and, and meet people has been amazing. And, and what have you seen so far at the event that uh, has interested you or surprised you? I know we're only at the beginning of day two, but from everything you saw yesterday, anything really stand out?
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, the whole idea that GSMA has put forward about Connected Impact um, has taken on you know, a little bit of a thematic thread in that, you know, there's this last past eighteen to twenty month phenomenon, obviously that's that's uh, the world has been through, and I, say, I so I think everybody's looking at topics and subject matters that normally this show would cover with a new lens, and mm-hmm. a new filter. Yeah. Um, and although I don't, I'm not one to dwell on the past, uh, but uh, and I think people do desperately want to move forward. Um, but the role that that this industry, the collective and expanded ecosystem. Um, that you know, sort of surrounds a show like this or an event like this and an industry like this and, and the, um, the industry that the GSMA serves um, has made such an impact, right? Um, not only prior to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, but through the pandemic with the acceleration of the technology adoption curve that we've yeah. seen. Yeah. And so it's been pretty astounding, Mm-hmm. See what's happened there, yeah. and um, and I think people are. I did a, a fireside chat yesterday, and we were talking about that a little bit in the, in the fact that what's happened in the last eighteen months from a technology adoption curve is normally takes about eight years. Yes, right. So across not only consumer households and, and with individuals, but with industry and how both small, all the way from small business right to large enterprise to sectors like education yeah. and healthcare, mm-hmm. how things have had to accelerate and, and just solutions needed to be adopted and developed in record time, at record mm-hmm. pace. And the, the world wasn't used to moving that fast. Yes. Um, and governments had to move faster. Regulators had to move faster. Just people in general had to move faster you know, to serve the needs of, of society. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty special in a way that it, it kind of, I think, was a wake-up call um, it, it's unfortunate that it had to come at the expense or uh, in the situation that it came to us in. Um, but it really, I think positions the industry and a collection of partners and companies in, in the ecosystem in general surrounding shows like this mm-hmm. with not only great opportunity, but it also great responsibility, um, going forward.
0: No, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I think everything you just said has, has been a theme of, of 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 our podcast as well, really. This sort of propulsion of digital adoption overnight in those areas of education, telemedicine, digital banking, online commerce, where we vaulted forward eight years in the space of six months, and everyone and I and I think it it, it um like you said, it, it, technology got a rebrand in in that we were underpinning society, we were enabling life to continue in in some respect, and then we saw some externalities of that, the digital divide, um, prop up. There was some severe mental health issues, particularly in young people, that you know, technology is, is trying to, to, to sort out as well now. So I totally agree with that. I think um, what's really interesting as well, coming back to the show, so, and we talked about it yesterday, is this race to 5G now, mm-hmm. this new industrial revolution, whatever people want to term it, this right. new connective this new connected world uh, 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 that we're moving in that connects everything. So, you know, coming to these shows, say, like 10, 15 years ago, and I, I remember I always used to go to the, the Qualcomm parties in Barcelona. They were always the best ones, by the way. <laughs> they were always the appreciate best I I always remember the Snapdragon uh, projectiles on the right. Stock Exchange in Barcelona. They were great parties, yeah. by the way. Um, but apart from that, um, we've moved now, and I guess this is, is directly uh, – uh, with with companies like yourself and Qualcomm is obviously you used to build the chipsets for the mobile devices and obviously sure. still do but now you're factoring in a multitude of other entities that you have to provide that processing for right can you give okay. us an insight on how Qualcomm has has adopted evolved sure. pre pandemic and moving out of the pandemic into the new world
1: yeah absolutely uh, yeah we've been as a company we've been undergoing a, a very strong and and um purposeful diversification strategy Uh, and it really started prior to the pandemic. Um, We had, we saw adopt, we saw adoption curves, growth curves. um, We saw shifts in markets and a lot of trends that put us kind of at the intersection of what was happening across different industries and product segments. And what we found was a lot of people, a lot of partners, customers, um, industries were coming to us seeking solutions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know we, our, our DNA is rooted in, in in creating technology and products that you know all sort of sit within this little rectangular device that so many people like depend on for yeah. their livelihoods and their lives, um, and the fact that that can be you know repurposed and that could be taken and applied in other areas is really um, you know special and interesting. Um, so what we what we've done is we started moving in these new directions. And, um, you know, your point earlier about how the, the race to 5G or the race through 5G, um, 5G is, is that, that generation of wireless technology that for the first time, its full impact will be felt really more outside the phone yes. than inside the phone. Absolutely. So it, well, it starts in the phone, like all Gs do. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that today, right? There's going to be a half a billion devices, you know, mobile devices with 5G enabled by the end of this year and about a billion by the end of next year. Yeah. So, uh, so that scale will be reached specifically in the smartphone space. And there'll be lots of experiences and things that go along with that network, deploy- network deployments are going really well. Um, in fact, in some cases it accelerated because of the pandemic, because that, that need for connectivity, that importance of connectivity has never been, never been um, greatly amplified as it has in the last 18 to 20 months. Yeah. But the growth outside the phone has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, our move into automotive, for example, Which has been building for about ten years now, um, or more, um, has has just exploded, Um, and and then across you know IoT, however you define that, it's a big bucket. Um, But across these different industry verticals, both on consumer as well as enterprise and industrial, we're just seeing a great pull for our technology and our products. So, how we like to kind of talk about ourselves going forward is, you know, we have this great mobile DNA. And we'll continue to lead that, you know, lead the industry as we always have, especially the Android ecosystem. But, um, but we're now sort of taking our products and technologies and we're playing this vital role in what we're calling the connected intelligent edge. And it's really about these gazillions of things that are going to be connected to each other um, that then kind of are producing all this data and intelligence that's then making its way either, either to another device or, at, or staying at the edge or making its way up to the cloud. Um, and so you, you've got this big cloud economy and this big cloud shift happening mm-hmm. um, more at the data center level um, and with lots of bits and bytes being processed, but you also have a fair amount of activity going on closer to the device, um, whether it's on device itself or whether it's between devices and that's really enabling, and 5G as a as a unifying fabric and an enabler yeah. for that connected, intelligent edge to sort of fuel this this uh, interaction between devices, and then and then create these experiences, whether it's mission critical services for healthcare because of the low latency and the ultra reliability and the mm-hmm. sp- and the capacity and the speed of 5G, yeah. whether it's V to X for automotive where the car is not only going to become smarter and more connected itself and become kind of like a big smartphone on wheels, but it's also going to interact with the environment Yeah, and it's going to, it's going to um, drive better safety, not only for the driver, but for the environment around the driver, whether it's um, people and pedestrians, whether it's cyclists, whether it's other drivers, um, whether it's, you know, inanimate objects. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the V 2 X sort of phenomenon is another thing that's sort of ex- Know, going to be really interesting. And a lot of that processing has to happen very close to the device. And, and so this connected intelligent edge we're seeing um, exploding now, and there's so many different places that our technology can play a role. Yeah. Uh, and so we really, our growth story is really about this connected intelligent edge and kind of owning that space. And, you know, we've broken it down into automotive and consumer kind of IOT use cases and in, in sectors as well as industrial and enterprise yeah. edge networking, um, is another area where we've seen a lot of, of experiential growth, um, with the enterprization of the home again, due to the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. um, and everybody sort of upgrading and updating their, their connectivity suite. So. Lots of opportunities to grow. Yeah, we have our uh, our New York Analyst Day, our investor conference in New York this year on November sixteenth, f- first one we're ha- we've had in two years. Right, yeah. um, and uh, and so we're really looking forward to kind of for the first time publicly, Cristiano will be telling this story, okay. right uh, yeah. about the growth. We we started with our earnings last quarter, um, and we talked about s- what we're seeing in 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 and. In, in, As far as product growth and and sector growth, but also how that's affecting our earnings and obviously profitability, but also just the opportunity that we're seeing. And and so on stage in New York on the 16th is when Cristiano's going to kind of roll out his vision. You know, he just became CEO on July 1st. Right. Uh, And so this is his kind of pivot. And 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 how he sees growth and kind of Qualcomm for the next decade, yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's really exciting. Yeah, And, it's um, and, and the opportunity is massive in yeah. front of us. It's it's more about focusing it and containing it and making sure that yeah. we drive it in the right direction. But it is pretty pretty um, pervasive, and um, and we we see a bright future. Mm-hmm. Um, working again, it, it's as we always say, it's um, it's not one individual company or technology. Some of these things are a team sport. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so ecosystems need to thrive. Um, uh, and, and you know, we've always been about open and, and ecosystem development and enablement.
0: You touched on it there, the digital divide. And this is something that we, we pick up pretty much with everybody we speak to now. I think there's a, almost, because of the pandemic, there's an inherent obligation on technology companies, whether it's the service providers, whether it's Qualcomm, whether it's Amdocs, there's, there's this obligation now to, what's the best way to put it, to, to, for the societal impacts that our technology enables, mm. right? So you talked right. about the digital divide there. We've talked about um, you know what things like the, the mental health pandemic. Right. We've talked about climate change with a lot of the people. Which of those issues... To you personally, and, and, and from a Qualcomm uh, perspective, that uh, you know, think is of paramount importance
1: and, and that you're excited to address as part of your day-to-day job. Um, I think that there's a couple areas that personally I'm excited about, and, and, and we've, Qualcomm has taken a very active role in, in helping to solve one of those areas is the digital divide. And you hear mostly digital divide associated with education, um, but it's actually broader than that. It's it's about connecting rural America or rural you know whatever. Um, It's about helping small business convert from you know an an analog first physical first way of doing business to a mobile first digital first way of doing business. We we launched our small business accelerator program right in the heart of COVID, and we basically saw the impact that this pandemic has had on small business as far as you know, industry sectors, small business was just decimated, you know, restaurants and, and, and event companies and things like that. And so we put a, we basically put a call out across the country to small businesses saying, we know you're struggling. Tell us how we can help, you know, here, here's what we do. If you don't know about us. Um, and here's the type of products that we, we have and the types of, of, uh, end user devices that our technology manifests itself in. How can we help? Tell us your story. And we got thousands of videos and written documents and um, uh, really compelling stories wow. from yeah. across different industries, nonprofit, for-profit sectors all over the country saying this is how I'm this is why I'm struggling, this is how I'm struggling, and this is how I think you can help. And we chose 550 small businesses from around uh-huh. the country. And we, we um, basically working with our partners like Verizon and Logitech and Samsung and others, Microsoft, we put together anywhere between $25,000 and $50,000 worth of technology and products. We worked with our partners at Best Buy for Biz- Business and right. the Geek Squad. Yeah, yeah. And we actually went out to these businesses and we deployed, trained, and taught these businesses how to transition themselves mm-hmm. from physical first to digital. mobile and digital first. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's point-of-sale equipment, whether it's new always-connected PCs, whether it's upgraded 5G smartphones, whether it's new Wi-Fi mesh systems, whether it's Logitech accessories, whether it's software. Um, it, yeah. it was a really a combination of things. And we're tracking these companies and and when we're building use cases and building um, sort of studies around how they successfully transitioned their business. Because at first, it's about survival, Yeah but then it's really about thriving outside and Absolutely. coming on the other side of the pandemic and how they've, their businesses have been changed forever. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. Um, I got a little emotional when I talk about it because yeah, it's great. like we, everything from coffee shops to yeah. um, we had these, these great uh, group of, of, of women who run this program after school program called guitars in the classroom. And it was a, I mean, a physical program. Like they had to actually go into the classroom and teach kids how to play the guitar, yeah. you know, with all these arts programs being cut around, the country in schools, this was a pretty special program. They had no idea what to do when they couldn't go to the classroom anymore and kids were at home. So we helped them create guitars for the classroom in a digital virtual environment. So it was pretty cool. Um, But on the education side, you know, along with Verizon and our other partners, we donated thousands of always connected PCs and hotspots and phones just to try to bridge. And what I think came out loud and clear is that the digital divide is not just in you know, um, rural places, but it's also in Harlem. It's also in downtown LA. It's also in dense urban areas where the socioeconomic differences have driven that divide. Yes, It's not about geography so much as it is about socioeconomics. So, um, I think that has been exacerbated. It's been brought to light, as you said. And I think we all have to work harder to really solve that problem. Technology can play a definite role but it's technology plus commitment. I think that's really the killer recipe uh, for solving some of these problems because access to information, accessibility um, is one of those things, accessibility to technology so that people can learn, people can understand, I think um, is one of the most powerful tools we can put into individuals' hands um, to help them, you know, sort of understand the world around them, understand similarities and differences in people, bridge, you know, gaps. And um, and create a better sort of more, you know, more balanced and understanding world. So um, that is that is a commitment that we have. And I think it's an, it's a, it's an initiative that I think we can all agree yeah. now we finally have to solve, right? And it's going to take regulators and governments, you know, to make sure that we have the right uh, pathways forward, that the industry has the right pathway forward. And it's going to take a collection of partners and companies yeah. um, to really bring it to life.
0: And that's just such a wonderful story, uh, Don, I think. And, and, and while you're talking about it, not only is it just a, a great story, but it's another demonstrable example of where technology and technology firms have stepped in, rolled their sleeves up, like you said, enabled them to survive and then shown them how to thrive beyond it. And I think, you know, we, we, I honestly think of building a case study of, of all these examples as a celebration, you know, maybe a year from now, once things have moved on, a celebration of, of the positives that has happened. And that's an absolute Wonderful example there. It must have been really great to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, it, w- it was fantastic. Uh, the, the response from these businesses when when uh, we when they were informed that they were chosen, mm-hmm. um, you know, that in itself was just amazing. Um, yeah. And then you know to see how they're deploying, how they're learning to use the technology, how it's helping them with their business goals, um, and, uh, and serve the communities that they're trying to serve. Yeah. Uh, really, really kind of cool and special. And yeah. we want to, we've actually decided to memorialize the program and to be an ongoing initiative. Um, and so it, it, it took a pandemic for us to kind of come up with the, with the idea creatively, yeah. but, but now we want to actually continue to support small business, help them with that digital transformation that we know a lot of different sectors of the economy is undergoing or are undergoing. And, uh, and really kind of help these businesses become mobile first. So yeah. in the next emergency or crisis, you know, they are, they are more ready yes. uh, to be able to adapt yeah, yeah. and, and deal with whatever is the, the, kind of the world throws at them. So that's exciting. And, and, um, and it's one of those things that, you know, kind of changes our approach to things kind of forever. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's great. And, and I think that there's, there's these opportunities, that's just one, um, I think connected healthcare is is uh, definitely something that um, helped in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, I think, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. Yeah. And um, I mean, I just saw a, a results. I just read a results of a survey the other day where 75% of people still would rather go see their doctor than have a televisit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the behavioral shift, I think, is still, still kind of something some that has. And I think just the access to tools and, and just the mm-hmm. way... People interact, yeah. Because you have to you you have to introduce the idea of telemedicine without taking away the personal uh, touch of, yeah. of of having a relationship with your doctor. And yes. and so um, if, if if people feel like it's um, off putting or too cold or not personal enough, then then it might it might backfire. But but uh, I think that there's there's opportunity there. Um, I, I also think that there's opportunity to take healthcare and bring it to where it's kind of been always like you had to bring the problem to the hospital, yeah, right? yeah, Or you had to go out and, and triage the problem and then bring it to the hospital for the real work to begin. Yeah. I think a distributed healthcare environment mm-hmm. where, we can enable EMTs and first responders to do more at the scene yeah, yeah. of whatever it is. It's an accident. It's a, it's someone who dials 911. Yeah. Um, but with connectivity and intelligence yeah. um, so that you can do ultrasounds, you can send x-rays back and forth because you've got the low latency, you've got the reliability. So this is mission critical stuff. You can't mm-hmm. be waiting, you know, for information to go up to the cloud and come back and, You know, yeah, while yeah, your patient yeah. is sitting there, you yeah, know, yeah, having yeah. a problem. So I think that is, super special and in, in having these kind of mobile hospitals or portable EMTs yeah. that are outfitted with better technology mm-hmm. where people can make more diagnosis. They can actually treat more in the field and having a distributed approach to that, to that yeah. care, yeah. I think is something that is special. And, I you know, yeah. So we need to get there too.
0: I, I see it as those doctors, um, properties and and the surgeries or the gp practitioner's office they almost become data centers in the future right and we have all the sensors the data's being crunched in real time The actions are being done at the edge with minimum latency but there's that proactive yeah i, I just have this vision it's probably a bit crazy i i i read the you know, you go to the hospital and it's just a huge, big data center. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> <Crunchy numbers. laughs> Bunch of servers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a transformative um, type of idea. And this is an industry that hasn't really transformed itself in years. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's riddled with regulation and insurance and all those uh, types yeah, of things. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it's, it's time. Yeah. And again, I think the pandemic kind of shook it loose a little bit. So now there's opportunity mm-hmm. for people to think differently about that and to create yeah. these new models and for, for care. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, when it comes down to saving lives, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important, but it's also kind of a no brainer. Yeah. And if you can cut through the red tape and kind of get people to think differently about it, I think there's some really, some really cool things that can be done. Yeah. Um, and I think we're just at the beginning of that. I think yeah, we're yeah. just at the beginning of that, um, that the, the pandemic cracked the door open it's time to push it all the way open and really sort of see what we can do. Wow. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of other ways that things are happening. I mean, this, the, 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 the pandemic has as you said earlier, you know, everybody was shopping from home Yeah, e-commerce exploded, right? Lots of beneficiaries of that obviously, but the, you know, the demand for products and, and services grew because people were upgrading and updating and, 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 Planning and 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 supplying and stocking up, yeah, yeah, you know, the whole yeah. toilet paper phenomenon, yeah. which I never understood, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. But uh, and lots of funny memes about that. But mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it's just it shows that how how fragile our supply chain is. Um, it shows that you know there were people that were ready, and there were people that were weren't. Um, but having these um, manufacturers or warehouse and logistics providers being able to pivot and being able to re, you know, reestablish lines, shift lines to take advantage of demand shifts, mm-hmm. abrupt demand shifts. Um, again, it's all part of this industry 4.0 where if you've got if 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 you've got a factory or if you've got a, a warehouse that can be easily reconfigured yeah. um, at the drop of a dime because of technology. Yeah. Because you can move robots from here to there or you can change things from yeah. here to there. Um, that's gonna uh, put a, a layer of flexibility in that we yeah. didn't have before. And um, again, I think that's something coming out on the other side of this that will be ingrained. Um, but, you know, we're, there's still a lot of things going on. I don't yeah. know if you've seen the photographs off the port of L.A. No. and Long Beach oh, yeah, yeah, of all the, the container ships. Yeah, there's yeah. like yeah. a city out yeah, there. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's just sitting there yeah, because yeah. the port, there's nobody there to work
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. and,
1: and, and bring in the goods and process the goods. Imagine if the port of Los Angeles was fully 5G capable. Yeah. Right. There were both people and robotics and drones and other things to help in the process of bringing container sh- ships in, processing those goods, moving them from point A yeah, to point yeah. B. Imagine if that was the situation today, we wouldn't have a city sitting off the coast of yeah, LA yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and so people are like saying, oh, supply chain issue, supply chain issue. There's a lot of goods sitting there. Yeah. yeah. Right. That are waiting to be processed. Um, but because of labor shortage because of the pandemic and the great resignation and, you know, and, and, and just lack of, of, of skilled labor that's created a bottleneck yeah. and technology can help to solve those types of things. And if we were just maybe three or four years down the road with the deployment of 5g outside the phone, right. into all these other industries and, and the of Valley was the most connected port or a fully connected port with all these tools mm-hmm. already in place, we'd be in a different situation yeah, absolutely. right now, you know? So, so that's a, that's kind of a, a another, problem waiting for a solution yeah, yeah. that we know is there. Uh, it's just a matter of deploying it and, and adopting it. Yeah. And, and then hopefully we want to have that yeah. situation in the future.
0: That's another great example that there really is a, 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 a the, uh, the supply chain issues that are affecting the whole world. The other one that comes to mind straight away, uh, so you talked about telemedicine and, and the healthcare, potential digitalization, uh, the, the issues with the supply chains, but education as well, right? Yeah. Again, that hasn't, that's been something, like, like you said, hasn't been touched much. The pandemic has opened the door a little bit. Right. And I think, you know, I've got four small children at home, and when the pandemic started, Chaos with them trying to do schoolwork. You're on mute, come off mute. <laughs> Teachers were having breakdowns. Right. Just stop shouting, take that pencil out your nose. Yeah. I mean, things were really, uh, really crazy. And then what happened was these young children, their IT skills and their technology skills, I was really, I was, I was so impressed with my kids. I did a podcast with them and said, Tell me again how you do that. And they right. were like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but being able to take virtual reality, augmented reality, and give children a fully immersive educational experience. Mm-hmm. There's a, a company here. We, we interviewed them yesterday uh, called I that have the holographic displays. Mm-hmm. And um, we had um, Taylor, their uh, uh, CTO come and speak to us and, He was explaining how the holographic display—you can go inside it. You
1: can really—and from an educational perspective, I was like, "Wow!" Especially for like the sciences and 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 art. Exactly. Yeah, I remember because one of one of the the, two of the classes that my daughter struggled with, ironically, were not math or English, but they were ceramics and painting because she was on her own like those are things you do in class you know together and they, they, they you know, your art teacher or whatever yeah. is there and they're they're showing you technique and mm-hmm. and everything so there it was pretty much independent study ceramics or independent study painting or drawing mm-hmm. and um, and so you know we had to push her to get her projects done and everything because it was just the environment wasn't conducive to, to creating art yeah, yeah. right yeah. Um, but if you had some of these solutions where you know you you, you could actually visualize in 3d we, and immerse yeah. yourself. That would have been better. Yeah, yeah, Um, but you're right. I mean, education, you, you know, the, the unfortunate part of the, of what happened with education during this whole thing is, um, unfortunately became overly politicized. Um, right. right. And that's the unfortunate thing. If you get all of that out of the way, um, you, you I think that, you know, rational logical minds, um, uh, could look at what, what was broken. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and what works, uh, and what doesn't. Um, and, and, and going forward, create a better, you know, sort of way, uh, Mm -hmm. for both learning, um, as well as student teacher interaction, um, and, uh, and then allowing the flexibility as well, you know, for, for, for for students to learn in different ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's something that's been going on, you know, for years and, you know, different types of schools, right. If you're a person that learns differently, you might go to a tech, technically oriented high school or we, you know, even in San Diego where Qualcomm is located and where I live, we have high-tech high and high-tech junior high. And these are schools that, you know, have been funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. And these are schools that they're fully accredited high schools and, but they're really technology focused. And they're for kids that like hands-on learning and like to, they're practical learners and they're visual mm. learners and, and they do projects and they create things and that's fantastic. And there's lots of schools, charter schools and things like that. So one of the things I think public education needs to wake up mm. and again, politics aside is kids learn differently. Yeah. Um, this has caused a mental health crisis with kids. Th- yep. That is the more damaging remote education w- was a debacle, Let's yes. just be real. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my daughter personally had mental health problems during right. the pandemic, of uh, remote learning. Yeah. And, it, and so kids learn differently. It's not, it's, it can no longer be a system of shoving kids through a machine yeah, just to yeah. get them out on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and everybody's accountable for that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Teachers, parents, administrators, governments, you yeah. know, local, state, federal, um, we have to take a hard look you know, uh, how, pe- how kids want to learn. Yeah. Um, and we, n- and we now understand better the, the breaking points, yeah, yeah. right. Of kids and, and yeah. how, and how they react or act yeah. in different environments um, because it stressed the system that yeah. was not a great system to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, th- but it was allowed to continue because it was masked, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this unmasked the system. Yes. And so now we have to take a step back and say, Hmm, how do we really want to go forward? Yeah. yeah. Well listen Don I've enjoyed every moment of our
0: conversation. Thank you. We could I, have carried on all well. <laughs> we could have carried on all day easily I mean and uh, absolute pleasure speaking to you. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining the Great Indoors. Thank you for having me. It's been yeah. a pleasure. So my next guest on the Great Indoors today day 1 of MWC LA is from Microsoft. He's the the VP of Azure um, carriers uh, and strategy. Uh, I'll let him explain more, uh, Mr. Sean Hockel, Welcome to the Great Indoors. Thank you very much. It's awesome to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to swing by. Now, a lot's happened today. It's been a long day. I'm sure you've you've seen um, uh, and heard a lot of things. But first question I like to ask
2: everybody is: How does it feel to be back
0: face it's interesting. to
2: face? <laughs> so yeah. this it's it's it's. What you find in the pandemic is how much you miss the interaction face-to-face with people in terms of the bandwidth of the communication, right? In other words, Teams is great, obviously, and uh, it's, you know, your ability to work remote is interesting, but in the end, having those, you know, one, the personal interactions, and two, your ability to exchange ideas and iterate and, and discuss is, you know, you find how much you miss that when when it's a chance to talk together live and in face-to-face, mm-hmm. and plus it just helps keep the, you know... the great to check in over over teams but uh mm-hmm. face-to-face is also awesome to be able to see people yeah. you've missed for the last 18 months and this is your first event back this is uh, actually i've been uh, in a couple now i went to the uh, uh the wia event uh in in florida but this is mm-hmm. certainly the biggest one i've come back to yeah uh, so far and it's been a it's been a great experience okay great so before we get going give us uh, our listeners uh uh, a bit of
0: your background, Sean, what your role entails um, right now and, and and the history of uh, your career so far.
2: Sure. So I sit in the Azure Engineering Organization, and I'm, uh, I, I'm in charge of 5G strategy for something called Azure for Operators. Azure for Operators is a relatively new initiative at Microsoft, uh, and it's really all about the cloudification of the network. So previously, Microsoft, or historically Microsoft, has worked with the IT departments at the operators uh, to help. You know, with the back office, often in many cases, um, cloudification of OSS and BSS systems, such as Amdocs delivers. And the, we have an opportunity, great opportunity to partner with Amdocs there. Uh, similarly, um, we've also done great go-to-market partnerships with uh, with the operators in terms of launching... You know, they're reselling teams, launching you know, bundled packages with Azure, uh, most recently some of the integrations we do with IoT where we're bringing together the combination of uh, Azure's IoT uh, capabilities along with the edge uh, IoT capabilities of the operator to deliver a, a front-to-back service for things like live video analytics or public safety devices. Azure for operators is a little bit different insofar as it's aimed at the use of cloud technology for the core network itself. So things like the packet core, things like the 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 I, the SBC and the TAs that deliver the volte services, uh, for things like Open RAN, and so it's the use of cloud technology for the core network. And that's you know culminated in an announcement we made most recently with AT and T, where uh, in fact Microsoft has taken on AT and T's network cloud, uh, brought it into their own portfolio, and is now operating that behalf of AT and T. So, and keep in mind, we're operating the infrastructure and the platform, not the actual network itself. But it's 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 been an obvious, you know, it's, it's been a, a great year for that. Now, myself personally, it's, you know, I'm relatively new to Microsoft. I actually joined at the beginning of COVID. Oh wow! <laughs> so I've you know I, I started out of the office and actually not meeting anybody I worked with for quite a few months. Yeah. Um, you know, about 18 months ago, and uh, it's been exciting. Obviously, Microsoft's a super dynamic culture. It's been. A, very, very different from sort of more traditional telco, which is where I came out of. I came actually, I spent 20 years at Verizon, um, mostly on the enterprise side of the business, working through, you know, I've been in the IT department. I also ran the sales engineering organizations at Verizon. And ultimately, when I left, I was in charge of Verizon's pro- enterprise products for both wireless and wireline. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, I came out of the, the, the telecom industry, made that shift to, to cloud, and, you know, is, is, is part of that. It's been a it's been a super interesting couple of years now.
0: Yeah. Wow. It sounds really interesting. And, and obviously, cloud is a hot topic, uh, as well as five G and um, edge. Already is a word that I'm, I'm hearing incessantly today. <laughs> what is it you've uh, excites you right now about the cloudification of, of, of the networks and the, the the next industrial revolution that we're potentially looking at?
2: I've been mean, uh, you know, industrial automation has been a fascination of mine from from. Virtually the beginning of my career, actually, one of my first jobs is building AI-based control systems for offshore oil rigs in Scotland a long time ago. Oh, wow. And uh, and really what I see here is just the, the opportunity for the industry, for the, tel- for the operator of the telecom industry to really take off and see the true promise of IoT, industry 4.0, 4.0, and industrialization. And that combined, you know, so you've got the low latency communications, the secure communications combined with edge compute. Um, if that can come together in a way with a common platform across the industry, being able to guarantee the developer community consistent security performance and behavior, you really set the stage for this explosion of 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 industrial automation and bringing the power of AI and ml into the real world. And that, to me, is personally exciting. Right. You know that, that's just it's cool stuff, right? it's yeah, yeah. It's robots, yeah. it's AI, it's it's aided vision. It's a yeah. bunch of really cool stuff all brought together. From a as a stock as, as, shamelessly as a stockholder in, 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 in a few few tele, you know few, few telephone companies um, if you think about all the value is created with the unleashing of 4G with sort of that whole consumer revolution uh, that was created by the smartphone mm-hmm. and you think about how you know the number of people that are wired today right just the penetration of, of smartphones and penetration of cellular service in general mm-hmm. is pretty dramatic that penetration doesn't exist on what I'll call the machine side of things. Right. No. You know, everybody carries one or two cell phones around with them. Um, I can look at my house and say, yeah, I got a smart TV and I've got a smart washing machine, but and a, I think a smart vacuum cleaner, but you know, no. you still got my refrigerator and my, and, 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 you know, a bunch of other, you know, a whole bunch of other things in my house that are yet to be connected. And, and I really think this is a chance for that to happen. And similar, if you visit a factory or a farm or a, or a mining location, you know, the, the opportunity for industrial automation, the opportunity to bring in AI and ML to make the environment safer, cleaner, mm-hmm. more efficient is dramatic. And those are all super exciting things to work on.
0: And, and you touched on something there, uh, Sean, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it now. I, you know, over the 18 months we've been doing this podcast, I think it's become clear that the service providers or the traditional service providers, if you will, the Verizon's ATTs and and t mobile almost have an obligation to the communities they serve now and the societal issues that affect them. So we spoke with Sampath this morning about the digital divide. Um, we, we've, we we know that uh, T-Mobile are very passionate about the digital divide. We know that Tammy Irwin at uh, Verizon are very passionate about diversity. Um, is there any, from a Microsoft perspective, are there any issues that They believe that their technology can help solve. You mentioned the climate there, which is which is yeah. a, a really cool one. Yeah. Could you elaborate on that and maybe add a, yeah, another I mean, example?
2: Microsoft's commitment to sustainability is 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 significant, and what we like to we like you know we believe that we can bring that efficiency in cloud computing and the way that we operate our data centers to lower the overall emissions and energy cost. Yeah, uh, and and then a high degree of, of of focus on building sustainable practices and communicating those outwards. Uh, we also, you know, in the end, the ability to to put, you know, to deploy sensors, to capture data, and to uh, evaluate it will help, you know, it's that data and those capabilities coupled with automation, coupled with AI and ML that lets you react to the the circumstances that will help, you know, their foundational technologies for building cleaner, more efficient solutions. And so I think, you know, one from a practices and commitment perspective, we're we're very committed to that. From a technology enablement perspective, I think these are foundational technologies for building cleaner, better answers.
0: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That's really great. And are you, uh, um, Sean, a, a big data guy? You mentioned AI and ML uh, quite a lot. Where, where do you see that from? And it's again, this has been at the top of the Gartner hype cycle for many <laughs> for many years. Yeah. What What do you see Microsoft and uh, doing in this domain now, really bringing that to
2: reality? Yeah, I mean, it's natural that people things get ahead of themselves and the hype's so like, that's always true, but it doesn't, you know, I don't think this is an if, I think it's a when. A few mm-hmm. things have to happen, right? You've got to bring together closer the producers of the data with the consumers of the data and the developers that build the application. That means massively simplifying, right? The ability to get a secure um, simple and resilient connection between the device and the service that needs to collect the data and then react back the thing the actuator that reacts to the response has to get easier so the developer community can build more applications without deep technical knowledge of the network and the underlying cloud infrastructure microsoft is partnering with operators uh, in a number of forums where we can sort of build that kind of you know build that end-to-end connectivity plus cloud together to deliver to the developer community a simplified experience. That gets the app piece going. Once you've got the apps, you attract the users, Mm -hmm. and it's a nice virtuous circle in terms of of how that ecosystem comes together. That still has to happen, right? And that's a, you know, we're working, I think, you know, I think our ability to build partnerships with the operator community to get a consistent, you know, approach to how, how things behave Globally, uh, in terms of uh, of you know the response from the networks, all super important, all done through standards organizations, all done the way that tell, you know that the yeah. operators traditionally have been successful, and that'll relieve the barrier to what I think is the other side. The, the you know operators have a great connection to the user community. We have a great connection to the developer community. Just need to bridge the two and bring them together, and then hopefully the innovation will explode. And I see that happening, you know, through five you know, G. Really, I think that's a lot of the enthusiasm to yeah. we'll see that happening through five G.
0: And we talked about industrial automation, something that you're passionate and excited about. We talk about 5G mm-hmm. all the time. And the one question is obviously that's all enterprise B2B um stuff. From a consumer perspective, do you have a position? What what do you think is an exciting potential 5G or edge-driven use case in the consumer space? I think this is the million-dollar question, I know, yeah. but do you have a, a No, I have.
2: Yeah, I absolutely see it. I mean, if you think about it, you know, real revolutions don't come because of technology. Technology enables them. But you also have to look for a shift in the demographics and the way people consume the services. And that's mm-hmm. definitely happened. In other words, my daughter, I have a millennial daughter, she couldn't find the, telefo- the, t- the television in my living room with, with a map, right? Because <laughs> she's never looked at it. She's ne- she doesn't consume content on the right. TV. Yeah. She consumes it on our portable devices, right? And, and so, in the way that she, the apps she uses, the way she interacts uh, with her peers, the, all those next generation of content forms are coming true in a mobile native experience. And so what I see is that whole generation, the whole next generation of content forms, which I'll admit are emerging, right? How mixed reality versus augmented reality versus virtual reality is going to play out. Telepresence, holoportation, um, you know, those kind of things, low latency gaming, all of that, you know, you're starting to see shoots of that fan out everywhere. Which one of those will take off? If I could predict that, I'd, you know, I'll be doing well, yes, but uh, but you can see where that's going to happen and those next generation of content forms coupled with this technology means that's going to be a delivery mechanism because you yeah. know it's going to be mobile native, yeah. that one's not too hard to guess. The question is is which of those forms and which of those formats are going to take off, and that's where I really see a lot of opportunity for the operators who have a traditionally very strong consumer base to participate in that because it's not going to be you know that that's not going to take place where the content and how the content's consumed today. No, absolutely.
0: So let's talk about Microsoft for a, for a moment, because um, you know, on, on this podcast, we, we bring in a lot of service providers. And Microsoft is reinventing itself, I, I believe, over the years. Now it's one of the key you know, cloud providers in the market. Obviously, the, the, the deal you've done with AT&T is, um, is incredible. What's exciting about Microsoft now from your perspective, working there, the culture innovation what what is it that, that and, and yeah. of course this is in contrast to you spending a lot of your career at one of the traditional mm-hmm. service providers that we've been discussing
2: so what excites you about Microsoft as, a, as an organization what I love about Microsoft is what the core you know essentially what some of their core values are. The, the the trust, the integrity, and the willingness to partner mm-hmm. makes working there fun. Because yeah. when you're going out, you're not just coming at it from what's best for Microsoft, but there's a recognition that value is created when you approach it from what's best not just for Microsoft, but for our partners as well. How do I act with integrity? How do I how do I build that trust? And how do I make sure that we're building win win solutions together? And you know, and that's not just altruism, right? That's obviously worked, and it's a mantra. Uh, you know, you know. Satya's obviously written whole books on how he how he thinks through that, but that adopting the growth mindset, looking at every opportunity is an opportunity to learn, even failures is an opportunity to learn, and then reincorporating and approaching things with an open mind and learning as you go is a super important part of the Microsoft culture, and it makes it a pleasure to work there. Yeah. Because, you know, it, the way you approach Events, the way you approach partners, the way you approach projects that went well or not so well, all of them are done in that that mindset of how do I make things better for the next time? How do I make it a growth opportunity for everybody involved? That's that's a that's a dynamic culture that makes things very very interesting and it feels good. Like, let's just face it; it feels good to be on the right side of things. Yeah. Uh, when you approach people and partners and and customers, and so that's uh, I think it's a pretty powerful cultural uh, weapon in Microsoft's, uh, for lack of a better term, a very powerful cultural trait. Yeah. Um, that Microsoft has, and I think we're seeing the results of that. It's worked out well. We have a great group of Microsoft partners. We have a very large ecosystem of people that trust us. Our customers select us because they trust us. And I think that's, you know, that, that's a nice thing. That's a good thing to be known for. So
0: let's, uh, as, as we sort of come to the end now, there's a couple of things I'd like to uh, to ask you, Sean. First of all, if we met again in 12 months, we did another podcast and I hope you know, we're going to be in Barcelona, yeah. hopefully, and we'll, you yeah. know. Um, what would be a prediction that you make now that may be true in 12 months from from this point in time?
2: So, a couple of things. What I think we'll start to see is we'll start to see a refinement of the business cases and the use cases with customers for this technology. I think there's a lot of energy going in that. I don't think it'll be solved, but I think you'll see a lot more people with much more refined views of, of customer. I think we're going to see an acceleration of the cloudification of networks. I think that the the op, you know our partners at AT&T and, the, and, and, and some of the work that's doing with some of the other operators, the Greenfield operators are out there demonstrating cloud technology is directly applicable for network workloads. So I think you'll see a lot of acceleration in terms of, of adoption of, of those technologies as well. And um, I'm hoping to see, a, you know, I think in general um, that the, the shift in the way that people are coming back to work and the way that they're working together would be a positive thing for both the cloud providers and the telephone, mm. the, the, the telecom operators or the operators. I think, you know, there's a recognition of the value of, of, of connectivity you know, think about where you'd be at if you can't get a connection, or how frustrating that comes. No, I think people are. I think people are trying to are really starting to appreciate the 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 value of the the service providers. One thing I will say is that that this whole this whole pandemic and 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 the challenges really demonstrated the public mindedness of the operator community. What other organization? What other industry would have stepped up the way that they did to make sure that people's you know experience, not just you know. You know, obviously, firmly committed to the public sector space and firmly committed to public safety, but also just in general. Right? Yeah. The networks performed. They performed well. I think that's a testament to the commitment that, uh, that the operators have. And, and, and they should be very, very justifiably proud of their behavior through the pandemic yeah. uh, in the way that they kept not just their own business going, but everyone's business going.
0: Well, listen, Sean, it's been great speaking to you on The Great Indoors. It's a pleasure meeting you. I've really enjoyed our
2: conversation. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of the show. Thanks very much for having me. This was an awesome conversation.
0: So what inspiring conversations with Don and Sean. I literally I could have kept talking for hours and hours. Fascinating insights, fascinating personal opinions. And you know, it's these kind of conversations that make me more and more excited not just what about what the next technological innovation is, but what it can do for our lives, our society, and humanity. So please subscribe to our podcast and all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. Check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are just brilliant and available now, The Future of Tech with Abishai Sharlin, and Points of View with our CMO, Gil Rosen. Also visit our new and improved website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors where we have a cornucopia i love that word of assets related to the series we'll be back next week for another la special edition of the great indoors i'm matt roberts for amdocs in los angeles have a great day wherever you are